Good morning, Tuesday on Talk Radio. I'm Daryl Morris. Thanks for having us on this morning. Um, some interesting news coming out of Latin America over the last couple of uh, days. I want to get into this story about the tortoise that's uh, saved its entire species in that part of the world. There's also um, a program banned from Netflix that depicts Jesus as gay. It's been uh, reinstated after a bit of a campaign in Brazil. We'll get into that. And also the story of uh, 62,000 people disappearing in Mexico's relentless drug wars. One of the big stories coming out of Latin America over the last couple of days where John Bonfiglio is for us this morning. Hello, John, buddy. Hey, Daryl, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. We've had this debate a couple of times, uh, literally today, John, as to whether or not we say Happy New Year. We're on the 14th of January now, but I'm, I'm going for it. Happy New Year, John. You too. I was just thinking exactly the same thing. Are we past the date or is it still okay if you haven't know. seen you know, somebody for a while to say? Do, do you know what? This happens every year, John, and we've still not managed to get that. It's like, it's like whether or not your, uh, your clock, your, your phone automatically changes the time when the clocks change. It's, a, it's just something we can't ever get our head around. We'll never know the answer to that question, John. No, it's a proper existential question, Daryl. <laughs> it is, it is. But hey, we, we make our own rules here, John, so we're, uh, we're going for it. We're saying it. Was you, was your Christmas alright and nice? Peaceful? Yeah, it was all good. All good. Yeah. Uh, all quiet and uh, nice and pleasant and not didn't overdo it too much. How about yours? Good, good man. Exactly the same. But I probably did overdo it a little bit too much, actually, uh, to be honest. Uh, when it gets to 10am and you're thinking, oh, is it too early for a whiskey? Uh, maybe that's <laughs> some questions to be asked. Uh, listen, we've got a lot to get into, so let's get cracking. Um, can we start off in Mexico? Um, a story that caught my attention in the last couple of days, John. Nearly 62,000 people have uh, disappeared in Mexico since the uh, beginning of the government's what's now widely regarded as ill-fated war on drug cartels. Yeah, it's been slightly misrepresented by by the media. It's, it's Essentially, the, the story could be split into two different um, sections, really, in terms of what actually took place. So the first thing is is that the government, for the first time ever, has actually admitted that there are there is such a thing as disappeared um, and has numbered them at 62,000 people. That figure goes right back to the 1960s when... Um, when these figures were began to be measured or on or not measured, although important to say that the vast majority of these figures of these disappeared individuals actually um, start as you say when Felipe Calderon, the then president supported by the u s administration, declared a war on drugs in two thousand and six and essentially all that happened uh, was that um, Mexico was militarized and there was a, a, a crackdown on the drug Cartels, and there were some notable, and there continue to be some notable hits in terms of the takedowns of the head of the cartels. But actually, nothing changes in terms of the movement of drugs north of the border. Um, and also, the one significant side effect is all hell breaking loose uh, in and amongst um, you know lots of areas of of Mexico on a day-to-day basis. So that um, not just the disappeared numbers have gone through the roof. Uh, previously you know, unsanctioned, but also the numbers of dead, uh, the numbers of killings, which were around about that time, 30 per day, but now they've spiked even further to 60 per day. So you're looking at a couple of hundred thousand people who we know have actually died. And then um, what I think is a conservative figure, 62,000 people um, disappeared. Right, okay. And so the very complicated uh, tapestry, isn't it? That, That definition of having disappeared. It really is. It really is. Um, because it's not just as though somebody can say, 
oh, this person's disappeared. Like, there's a whole process you have to go through in order for them to actually be be registered and dis- as, as disappeared. And also, like, it's not just the cartels. It's it's also important to say, like, the security forces, the police, and the military also have a have a hand in this in terms of you know there's um you need to go out and get some of the usual suspects if you like uh you know as the phrase goes and and out they'll go and and be heavy-handed in a particular area and they don't really mind who it is that they get at the end of the day as long as they they get some somebody it's just a really um terrible situation in which the people who suffer the most are the people on the ground and often the people who who don't have much to do with the situation in, prior to 2006 it's not to say that there weren't killings. I mean, there were killings and there were disappeared, but predominantly around around that time, it was cartel on cartel violence. But certainly, what you see in areas now, like in the northeast, uh, Tamaulipas, and in the northwest, Sonora, Sinaloa, um, Guerrero, around about Acapulco. I mean, Acapulco now, not just in a cartel context, but in a kind of vigilante um, context, is really a, a complex place to. Mm. Um, to go to nowhere near the heyday that it was in you know 50s, 60s, 70s, mm. 80s. So for sure, it's it's a it's a situation that nobody seems to be able to extract Mexico from. And there's nothing on the horizon. You know, there's no great plan or even small plan on the horizon that seems able to um, to be able to move things forward, even degree by degree. All right. Well, that was going to be my next question. Actually, what what, what does it mean for this so-called war on drugs? Well. Um, I mean, in terms of does it does um, U.S. and Mexican policy, Mexico policy on the cartels, has it affected anything? Has the fact that a Chapo Guzman is now in a high security prison in the U.S. does that affect anything to do with uh, with the Sinaloa cartel? Absolutely not. I mean, it doesn't stop one iota drugs getting north of the border. It's a supply and demand situation, and it's not a supply and demand situation in which people are exporting tor- you know, tortillas that don't cost very much. Mm. This stuff is highly lucrative. Um, and as I've said many times, it's also not just drug-based. I mean, the cartels essentially are a highly um, developed and evolved series of outfits that basically chase the money. So wherever the money is, whether that's in construction, whether that's in avocados that Head over to um, to the UK, mm. uh, whether that's uh, to do with you know the actual drugs themselves, um, their structure, whether it's to do with animal trafficking, their structure is all about the highest possible profit, and they're gonna they're gonna deliver the product to market and make money from it, and whoever gets in the way of that, whether that's you know a, a politician, an individual on the street, they're, they're gonna they're either going to be taken down or they're going to be bribed and, and brought around. Actually, a, a, main, a really big bit of news in the last few weeks was that Felipe Calderón's main drug czar at the time has now actually been indicted on drugs offences. So, like, the guy, the, the most important guy in Mexico designated to take down the cartels in the late noughties was, has himself been incriminated on drugs charges. Blimey. Wow, okay. So, <laughs> where, do you, where do you go from there? Uh, I don't yeah. know. Uh, listen, in the interest of, um, of getting around these stories, uh, uh, John, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to Mexico for sure um, and, and that story of the drugs war or the war on cartels. It's, um, it's going to be a running theme, I think, through our conversations for some time. Um, uh, let's just pop to Venezuela, if, 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 we, if you will. Um, and a political crisis that has continued to unfold. The two rival politicians they're claiming to be the country country's legitimate leader uh, there has been a development where are we up to um well the, we descend into we descend from farce into farce into further farce i mean it was farcical you know when there were two presidents two designated presidents uh a year ago now and then mm. it was 
farcical again where there was this coup that wasn't a coup which maybe was a coup where Guaidot had this kind of narrow angle camera shot um, about eight months ago where he, he got the seven the only seven military that he had supporting it into the single into single camera focus and now um, Maduro the current uh, you know by most measures the current president of Venezuela who certainly holds a range of power as regards um, the, the, the military and the trappings of the country decided that he was going to stop Guaido getting into parliament and signing on and being elected as speaker of the assembly again by basically putting riot police in his path. So you have this absolutely ridiculous situation where you have um, Venezuelan riot police impeding a democratically elected um, individual congressman, if you like, from getting into the building. Eventually, a day later, Guaido actually does manage to get in. And just as he's being sworn in, Maduro actually turns the lights off. Again, you know, from fast to fast to fast, in order that he'd not be able to be filmed and disseminated around. So, the actual investiture of Guaido as speaker took place by by the light of people's um, um, camera phones, uh, and then was disseminated uh, that way. I mean, it just could not get more ridiculous. And all the while, obviously, you know, the average individual on the street is going, "What on earth is going on? Mm. Uh, can somebody please just get us out of this godforsaken mess that we're?" That we're in, mm. and uh, it's it, we've talked a little bit in the last twenty minutes, actually, John, about sowing the seeds of mistrust between uh, constituent electorate and, uh, and 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 politicians, and that those relations must be at an all-time low in Venezuela. Yeah, and, and I'm sure, as you mentioned, it takes one second to sow those seeds, and then to recover from that will take years or, or generations. And I, once that precedent is set, then you're really scrambling up a, you know, it's a slippery. Um, a slippery cliff. Um, it's difficult to know how and when Venezuela comes out of this situation. I mean, there are people suffering uh, 60 power cuts a day, and that includes hospitals that no longer have uh, generators. I mean, public transport essentially no longer works. There is no export uh, import um, to speak of. Inflation's actually come down a bit, but you know, if I say it's come down a bit from a million percent to ten thousand percent, I mean, you know, what odds does that make? Mm. Uh, really, essentially, in the in the cold light of day, I mean, Maduro is only being propped up by the Chinese and the and the Russians who have a vested interest in um, you know in, in in keeping him there for, um, for for multiple reasons. But in terms of how improvements take place and the economy gets shored up and and anything really changes. I mean, even if Guaido came in, I don't see how that would change, you know, overnight. Mm. Um, there are significant infrastructural problems that Venezuela has and has had for uh, for 10 years that are not going to go away mm. overnight, mm. no matter who's in power. Yeah, and what's the international response been to this then, John? Uh, the international response has largely been to polarise the situation and try and make Venezuela, um, you know, uh, like an overseas, a de facto... Um, battleground for in, in a geopolitical context. So yeah. the US, um, the UK, and a number of other, in inverted commas, allies immediately supported uh, Guaido, and then obviously uh, in, immediately based on that, um, Russia and China took took the other side. Um, it's fairly oft quoted in the media that Guaido has 50 countries um, supporting him, but that basically means you know if you remove the neutrals that there's about 100 countries that don't support him and support Maduro, which is never mentioned in the in the media. So it's kind of suggested that um, that everybody is pro-Guaidor 
uh, winning power. And it's also problematic because it's also set a precedent, going back to the precedent situation, um, right across Latin America now, where people, as happened actually in, in Bolivia recently with Jenny Nanez taking over from Evo Morales, where people are now um, self-anointing themselves, self-declaring themselves president, uh, president's left, right and centre. And mm. again, that's, that's a precedent which is going to cause problems and not just today and tomorrow, but well into the long term. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Venezuela is another subject that we will return to, John. Um, can we talk about this really fascinating story from Brazil? The Supreme Court in that part of the world has overturned a ruling uh, that the TV streaming service Netflix has to remove a film depicting Jesus as being gay. Yep, it was. It was. They, Netflix were ordered to take it down, and then the Supreme Court came in and um, and reestablished it. I mean, Brazil, as with much of Latin America, highly religious, highly Catholic um, society. So anything like this, which is um, on offer in a, I guess, kind of mass media kind of context, is going to annoy people and cause massive affront. Um, and obviously, then you multiply that by the current uh, presidency of Jair Bolsonaro, who is of the extreme right and has strong evangelical support. So the trappings of power also are now set up so that uh, you, uh, you can essentially at least try and shout these things down in a way that perhaps, you know, two or three years ago um, that wasn't that wasn't possible. And it's not just the, the legal rulings. I mean, the, um, the officers of the production company that, that made this film were also um, attacked, uh, looted, etc. So wow. it really caused a, a big situation. And now, I mean, again, I don't think it's something that's going to go away immediately just because the Supreme Court... Has has said that it's okay for Netflix to uh, to screen it in the in in the country. As with many other places, uh, Brazil at the moment finds finds itself massively polarised, uh, with extreme ends of the political spectrum just not speaking to each other and just shouting at each other across the divide. Um, and uh, so you get flashpoints like this, where you know a topic like the gay Jesus Netflix streamed film. Um, you know, rather surreally, mm. becomes the mm. the touchstone. Yeah, and it's also um, um, an interesting question for people like Netflix to answer as well, isn't it? And and these global companies who have reaches into countries that perhaps don't share the same values or as as them as an organisation, right? And it's, yeah, that's, it's you know that's that's something that they have to tackle. Totally. And then there's, you know, there's obviously discussion of, um, you know, freedom of speech for freedom of artistic uh, liberty. I mean, Netflix does Netflix does stream differently country to country. So, yeah. you know, if you have a Netflix subscription in Brazil, that's going to be different to um, to, to the UK, etc. So they do have some modicum of control as to what takes place in those contexts. Um, but, you know, for sure, this harks back to, you know, Bolsonaro is, a, is an apologist for... Um, for the military junta that uh, you know that was in power in in Brazil for mm. a period in around the 80s, 70s, and 80s, and this definitely harks back to the closing down of uh, to the shutting down of artistic expression that w that would be seen fairly regularly in and around that time. Um, as you say, I think that that's uh, another uh, line of conversation that we'll return to. Uh, John, before we leave you, quick mention for Diego. God bless him. This is the giant tortoise uh, who is credited with saving his species from extinction uh, on his way back to the uh, Galapagos Islands. What, what an amazing, amazing story this is. He, he has a libido. I think he's in quarantine at the moment as well, so he must be getting fairly 
pent up and 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 frustrated. Um, yeah, look, I, whether whether he is actually responsible for saving a species or whether this is a a cunningly crafted press release in order to get some some promo for a particular kind of tourism in the Galapagos, I don't really know. But yeah, apparently Diego um, has single-handedly fathered, brought his species back from the brink, uh, and fathered about twenty to thirty percent of uh, of the species that have now. Now on the uh, on the island of Española in the Galapagos, and, and actually, go figure. Yeah, because there was there were only two males and tw- and twelve females on the island. That's uh, that is astonishing, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't quite know what it does to the genetic makeup of the you know the whole of the whole situation, but yeah, for sure, you know that the the, uh, the species came into into crisis, and uh, I think they uh, you know they called one eight hundred Diego, and on he lolloped <laughs> uh, onto the island and gradually. Well, actually, they brought him from San Diego Zoo, actually, so he wasn't even on the island. He'd been removed ages ago and then br- was brought back in order to actually repopulate. Um, so he was, you know, he was, he definitely, if you like, came caped and ready to, to the rescue. Thank you for bringing up this, uh, this story, Gerald. I think this is either a real high point in our conversation or a real low point. <laughs> I'm not sure which. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably up for debate. That's subjective, I think. Uh, <laughs> to be honest. And, uh, and what, what, uh, uphill struggle he's got with child support as well by god that's eye-watering isn't it eye-watering yeah um, definitely uh, listen john it's been a pleasure as ever my friend thank you so much and let's do it again soon all right take care you too buddy john bonfinglio in latin america for us this morning Alongside Latin American correspondent, if you want to follow the U.S. election cycle or any other international election cycle, which may be of interest, we also take requests on Spotify. We're also on... I've forgotten it. What is it? Uh, Dropbox. No, not Dropbox. On Spotify. Spotify. Are we on Dropbox as well? Are we? Or is it SoundCloud? Wait, no, Spotify. Look, just forget all that stuff. Just Spotify. Follow Speakeasy Politics on Spotify. Say the name again. How hard can it be? Say the name again. Bye.